welcome. You know, on first, uh, when I did the rehearsal of the message, it was so lively and incredible. And this morning when I got here, my heart just shifted. And so I don't know if you heard about first service, but uh, you're here for whatever God wants to do. So let me pose what we call a rhetorical question from the pulpit. Here's the question. Are you committed? When I said that in first service, someone's like, oh, yeah, 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 me. And then that tone went by the end of the service to completely different because it's a bigger question than just yes and amen. Are you committed? Here's what Webster Dictionary says about it. I'm a dictionary guy. My grandfather, Harold, used to open up the dictionary and read a word and try and use it in a sentence a couple times. But here's what it says. Feeling dedication and loyalty to a cause, an activity, to a job, to God. I mean, can you put, hi, I'm Jeff, and I'm wholeheartedly dedicated to Jesus Christ. Man, I want that. But I can't just say the words. I've got to show it by my actions. So the question is, are you really committed? Because it has an impact in your life. If you are truly committed, then you're committed in everything that you do. You love to, to set commitments and follow through with them. But the question is, when you commit to something, is it 100% of the time? Is it most of the time? Is it some of the time? Our culture in Southern California right now, how we're raising our kids and how we're living, is like, yeah, I'm going to commit, but there's a good chance over 50% I'm not going to make it. That's just where we're at. That's where our society is today, that we are overcommitted and we underperform, and we do it at work, and they still pay you. I have no idea how that works. So the question is, are you committed? And what kind of commitment level do you have? Like, seriously, what kind of commitment level? You can say yes and amen to, dude, I am so committed, Jeff. It's incredible. You should see me. Well, can you phone a friend and prove it? Can you ask a, 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 a mentor or your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend and go, am I really committed? I might be committed to something, but am I committed to God? That's the question that I ask. You know why? I don't know if you know this, but commitment is hard. It's hard to be fully committed. It is hard. Maybe you're in a relationship or you're married or not. It's hard to be committed. So we are so grateful that you're here. For whatever reason, you chose to be here today and worship Jesus Christ. And we are beyond blessed that you have chosen this place because it happens to be our birthday. Anybody eating cake already? Yeah. Awesome. You'll get to run around after. We are so grateful. This is our 13th birthday. This started in our backyard. And you know what? That first Sunday or that first day was actually a Thursday. We, we ate. You don't get a figure like this without eating. You, we ate. We prayed. We sang. We read the Bible. And you know what? At the end of the night, everybody was super excited. And they're like, we should do this next week. And you know what we did? We started meeting every week. And that's how God started us. And you know what happened? There was like a handful of people that stayed around and goes, dude, we could do this. And they were committed. And that's what we're trying to do. We're asking you guys to commit to next week. So second service, if you come, you're going to the fair. And if we need help, hopefully you're going to help us. 
because we're inviting the community to show the world how powerful our relationship with Jesus really is. And so next weekend, we're gonna be out there committed to welcoming people. And here's what we get to do. We get to serve and show the world how valuable they are to us. We exist because we have a commitment. We have such a high level of committed groups of people. It takes 70 plus people. I think first service, I, 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 I heard the number 80 plus people to put on a service like this uh, each and every week. Before COVID, it was over 100 because, you know, COVID kind of took us down a little bit. So it takes a commitment. Now, I need to do a public service announcement. And this wasn't in my message until this morning. So let me kind of switch gears. Um, if you guys haven't seen the movie Sound of Freedom, you need to go see the movie. And if you don't know what it is, look it up. There's free ways to give this movie. It's about uh, human trafficking. And really it's about children sex trafficking. Um, the United States consumes one-fifth of all the resources in the world. Do you know that? So we consume everything, and you know what? We are also the number one consumer of sex trafficking children. If you haven't seen this movie, it's about a man that goes into the uh, Cartagena and into the the jungle to save someone and it's an incredible story you got to go see it we're trying to keep it in the movies that was the message at the end I'm a storyteller they said storytellers tell the story but here's the thing Jeremy and Tara uh, have an incredible relationship with this group called Love Justice I was at their mother-in-law's house it talks about prevention saving people before they get into it lovejustice.org look it up it's an NGO it helps it will change the lives of human sex trafficking love justice we've talked about it Jeremy's done a couple of sermons on it or used it as application the other one that's in Ventura County is called Forever Found this organization, foreverfound.org, has saved 400 kids in Ventura County. 400 kids in Ventura County in our backyard. About 12 years ago, someone I know dearly had this happen to their kid that lives right down the street. Don't act like we aren't happening and it's not happening in our city. It's happening. And that's why we're talking about being committed. So it makes sense that we would do a public service announcement. So Sound of Freedom, great movie. If you can't afford it, they're sending people for free. But if you can help someone out and send them to the movie, take them to the movie, keep it alive because if we get committed around something like that, how much better would the world be? So let's talk about this committed issue then. I mean, if we were really committed... I promise you this was supposed to be a joyful message on a birthday. But we have issues with commitment. And I remember when I first had to deal with this as an adult. It was about 18 years ago. And uh, I have a friend. He's one of my best friends. He was actually my best man at my wedding. And uh, his name's Richard. We call him Farmer Richard because he has a farm. Makes sense, right? Farmer Richard was with a friend in first service and it was kind of awkward to tell this story, but me and him were having a struggle in our friendship at the time. And he says, Jeff, doesn't your Bible, he wasn't really reading the Bible, he wasn't really practicing his faith at the time. 
still believed in God, but he basically said, doesn't your Bible say, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes? And I'm like, yeah, it does. And here's what it says in uh, Matthew in the NLT. It says this, and Jesus is now teaching, if you know your Bible in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in, in chapter five, he's starting to teach. And in this section, he's talking about vows, commitments, maybe you say at the altar or that you make to God or that you say to a friend or oaths. And he's talking about oaths. And here's what he says. He says, just say a simple what? Yes, yes I will or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is what? It's evil. It's evil. It's against God. And so we have this idea of commitment and how it's against God. So now this man that's not really reading the Bible and another man that's trying to read his Bible every day, and he's like, don't you read that Bible? And he's like, I go, yeah. And he go, don't you believe it? And I go, uh, I guess. And he said, your yeses aren't yes and your noes aren't no. And he says, it's got to be affecting you in your life. And I was currently on staff at another church and I was having conflicts where I was double and triple booking and I'd call and someone's like oh you're supposed to be meeting here I'm like I'm already at lunch with someone else my calendar was all out of whack my commitments were, were all out of whack and it really forced me into this issue am I committed and I had to grow there's a man named Timothy Keller he recently passed away and I've been you know my wife me and her have been in this and I love this man I, I don't really know him but I love some of the things he's I've been listening to a podcast that he has and uh, he passed away recently and one of the ways that I can keep him alive in my heart and in this world is make a quote and listen to this quote and I, I hope this is the message for you this is the message for me this is what I got out of it he says this if God is not the center of your life something else is <clears throat> Honestly, I, I, what I feel like I should do is just sit and stare at you for the next 30 minutes and just have you look at that verse. I, I, I can talk over this verse. I can give you all kinds of scripture. But listen, if God isn't the center of your life, something else is in the middle of that. And I honestly, I just feel like just sitting here and doing nothing but letting that soak in. But they might not let me teach again, so I'm going to keep going. Being committed is best when you don't have doubts. But it's even better when you do have doubts and you commit in spite of those doubts, isn't it? What an incredible testimony. It's like, I doubt he's going to do anything. I doubt he loves me. I doubt he cares for me. I doubt he's holding me right now. I doubt all these things. But even then, it's like, but even that, I'm going to commit to you, Jesus Christ. What better commitment is that? When I first said Jesus, these songs today, man, the, the worship team killed it today, didn't they? It was incredible. It was so good. It was all guys, too. So I don't know if you guys saw that, but... I was just making an observation. Don't kill the messenger. When we commit to Jesus, you know what you're saying? I, I don't know where your commitment level is here. Everybody might be all over. We might have a non-believer. We might have a, a sold-out believer. But when you say yes to Jesus, when you commit to Jesus, you know what you're saying? Nothing else in this world is important to me. That's the commitment level that Jesus wants from you. Nothing else is important to you on this world. Not anything greater than him. 
Instead of living for myself, I commit to him. And instead of living for uh, me, I live for he. And in that, I have revival in my heart. God has told us, it's our 13th birthday today. God has told us through multiple people that have dreams and visions about the kingdom of God that journey the church. This particular scraggly bunch of people, and I say that with all the love. <laughs> I say that with all the love. If you're scraggly, welcome. Uh, that God is going to use this church to bring revival into this Pleasant Valley. That's what God is saying. We've heard it multiple times from different people, different countries. People are coming to our church and saying, for whatever reason, this ragtag group of people is going to be used to launch something crazy. I believe that. I believe that. And I believe in a couple years we're going to look back and go, what in the heck happened? How did this occur? And we will be celebrating. And God is trying to build this barn spiritually so that we can be ready for when the floodgates are going to open. You guys know the floodgates are coming, right? Look at all the empty chairs. Listen, I don't know why there's empty chairs. You know how incredible Christ is? I mean, I've been through a lot. And today I look back and I'm like, I want to tell everybody what Christ has done because I was completely wrecked. And now, even though I'm flawed, I have a Savior that saves me, that I'm committed to, and I'm a completely different person. And if you don't believe me, my parents are here. And they'll tell you. And because of that, we get to give this away. Are you committed? I don't want to do church like this anymore. I don't just want to get up here and give you some words and six points and five points and one point sermons. Pray us out and go have breakfast. We got to do it differently. So let's talk about our commitment. Do you know that there's benefits in being in a committed relationship? I am super blessed to be in a marriage that my wife actually loves me back. It's incredible. I never knew that had happened. But in this a committed relationship, and you don't have to be in a marriage to find a committed relationship, but think about what it makes. There's benefits from being in a committed relationship. Here's the benefits. Now, this is just relationship. It can be friendship. It can be relationship, whatever. It's less stress, better health, healthy behaviors, live longer, greater sense of purpose. Incredible. Yay. Psychology today. That's where I got that. But think about that as God. What happens if your relationship with God? Do you not think that you would have less stress and that you'd have a better healthy life? That you would make better decisions? Do you not believe that you would live longer? And if not, that you would wake up and have a greater sense of purpose because you're committed to God? What would your life look like and how would that relationship impact you if you fully were committed? And how would you live each and every day committed? All of those and so much more because that's what's happened to me. I accepted Jesus fully committed. Read his word. Make him a priority and I'm living a far better life than I would have been. I'd probably be dead by now the way that I was living like other addicts in this world. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. 
Let's talk about the uncommitted, the lack of committed. Let's talk about those that are actually going, man, my life's not where it's supposed to be. I'm hurting, I'm lost, I'm lonely, I'm angry. Let's talk about those people for a moment. Let's talk about that person online that's getting ready to swipe and move on because they feel convicted and they don't want to stick to the message. Let's talk about the person that here that's wandering saying, this isn't for me. This is for you if you're saying that. Let's talk about the elephant in the room and let's address it with God's word. Psalm chapter 16, we're doing the summer of Psalms. Psalm chapter 16, David writes, and it says this at the beginning, a Psalm of David, a miktam. What is miktam? Miktam is a Hebrew word, and what it really means just definition-wise, it's a cover. It's a covering, a golden covering. It's like a golden stamp over a coin or, you know, some of the, some of the stuff in the tabernacle, they put a gold covering around it, and that's what a miktam is. Psalm 16 and Psalm 56 through 16, 60 are these things called miktams, and the idea of these are they, they have great value in times of peril. The word peril means dangerous or risky. So this is a golden nugget of wisdom, these words. It's a miktam, and they're, they're helping us during times of peril, risk, or danger. And we are heading into another political season, and we are going to decide if we're going to be stronger in Christ or we're going to let the world take over. We're heading into a season where, you know, the economy is what it is, and we need to be stronger in Christ. This is a valuable tool. Psalm 16 is a wonderful song, singing song. David shows us how he has found the secret of living content in his life and great gladness, even in pressing times like we are in today. And in one of the verses, it predicts a Savior that's resurrected, which is incredible, And that's why it's so valuable. So here's what it says. Psalm 16, a miktam. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. Father, help us today. Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I can feel you. And I know that you're always here when we gather. And I pray that there's a moment of conviction, a a, a place of encouragement, And a a, a time to be motivated to do more than I've ever done for you, Lord. And Father, I pray that if that's my heart, I pray that someone else has that. I pray that that person online that's bawling right now will receive a flood of peace right now to calm their spirit. Lord, show us where to go today as a church. And all God's people said, amen can't close the Bible in the middle of the message. That wouldn't make sense. So we're beginning with uh, this psalm, and it says this. David is in trouble in this psalm. Do you know why? Why why do we know he's in trouble? Because he says, keep me safe. That's great theology. Keep me safe, oh God. David is in peril. He's in danger. His life is at risk. And he's saying, keep me safe, O God. What is he saying? The actual word means to preserve or preservation. He has a relationship with God, and he's like, I need help. You're my only hope. If you're thinking about Star Wars, so am I. Don't worry about it. That's where our head goes. Sorry, we're there. And what he's saying is, God, preserve me. Keep me safe. Preserve me from this world and from my own thoughts. Preserve me from growing envious, growing selfish, being uh, self-righteous, proud, or 
How about any slothful people in the room? Any slothful people? Two, wow, really? Incredible. Well, stick around after we need help tearing down so we could use your help if you're not slothful. Here's what we're trying to do here is David is trying to seek God and saying, you are my shelter, my refuge. Does anybody ever think about shelter? You know, in my house, and I'm just going to speak for me. I'm not even going to put my wife in this. In my house, I want the house to be 68 degrees, comfortable the whole time. Nothing on the floor, very perfect, right? Do you know that 80 years ago, people in this country, my father-in-law who's here today, uh, he was telling me as we were driving last week that he lived in a tent like six months a year, and I'm like, a tent? Like one of those moving ones that's got a TV and a big screen. And he's like, no, just a tent. 11 people in a tent. And we're worried about our comfort and safety and our shelter. We're committed to that. 68 degrees so I can sleep through the night because God forbid I have to get up because it's hot. It's not what Jesus is saying. He says, verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. Is Jesus your master? Don't shake your head. Don't act like you're righteous to me. Ask God. Are, is he your master? Is he really your master? Do you believe and look at that he is my master? And he knows that every good thing. David knows as James chapter 1 Knows James writes this. He must know the same psalm that we do. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. David says the same thing, so it must be the same thought. And the idea here is, what would Jesus say to you if he was here today? Because he is. Are you committed to him? Is he your master? Or is he just a good friend that I allow in the car sometimes on Sunday? Listen, if you're at church and this is the only time you've put God in your life, you are probably struggling right now. You're on life support. If this hour is the only time you're going to worship God this week, you're probably not comfortable in your skin. And I'm not saying that to call you out. I'm trying to help you. Because I have to work on myself so that I'm comfortable in my skin 24-7 or at least while I'm waking so that I can find comfort. And that's what David is trying to do. Verse 3, the, go the godly people in the land are my true heroes. The sound of freedom, the hero in the story actually comes at the end and says, I'm not the hero. There's other heroes. And you need to go see the movie if you haven't because there's two incredible heroes in that movie. There are good people in this world and good people still make mistakes. And God loves a good uh, resurrection story. Why? Because he resurrected his son and he wants to resurrect me and you. There's good people in this place. And even though we have embarrassing moments, we have scandals and failings in our life, God still uses us. You know, David, David was a horrible parent. There's a, I could tell you, I could give you David's inventory right now. Terrible parent, terrible, terrible communicator, adulterer, murderer, and that's just a start. Don't get into the personal characteristics. But every time he made a mistake, at some point he found in his heart that God is my everything, and God then said, this is a son after my own heart. This is a child after my own heart. And he always found his way back, that song, take me back to my first love. That's who David is, that's what David is telling us. 
There are incredible people in this world. David's thrilled with them. I'm blessed to be a part of this church. I would be nowhere else in this community. I would be nowhere else. I could sit there and sit with my wife and minister and let someone else minister. This is where I'd be because this is the church that I would love to go to. David is confident that you, that he knows God and that God knows him. You need to be confident that you know God and he knows you and he wants to use your life. The first three verses bring us to this main point that uh, being committed creates confidence. If you're lacking confidence in life, are you really committed to God? Are you committed to that relationship? What are you committed to? If God is not the center, this is my friend or my my the guy I like, Timothy Keller. If God is not the center of your life, something else is, and then what is it? If you aren't feeling confident, then maybe God's not the center. And here's what I'm telling you. If you're having a marriage problem, put God in the middle of it or above it. If you're having a financial problem, put God above it. If you're having a relational problem, if you've got a broken heart, if you're feeling sick, if you've got a disease, put God above it or in the middle of it and see how it works because then you will start feeling confident. There's nothing you can do, but it's all God's job. And and that's what he wants to do. So start trusting him. David is fully confident because he's fully committed. Are you fully committed and are you fully confident? Verse 4 says this. I love it. It says, Troubles multiply for those who chase after little g-gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their little gods. Now, where do we do this today? We don't do this very much in the United States, but I promise you it's still happening in third world. I've seen it in a couple different places. I've seen it down in Mexico. I've seen it in Nepal. I've seen it in Asia. But we don't really do this here, and so that brings us to the next elephant in the room. What's the elephant here? It talks about idols. And when we think about idols, we think about these little gold or wooden objects that we put on an altar or, you know, certain things from other religions. And, and we put them on this altar and we think about it. But this is the elephant in the room because it's more than that. The Bible teaches us that idols are, are beyond just what people worship, these little images and false gods. It's a matter of the heart. And that brings me to my second point of the message. Idols create issues. Idols create issues in your life. So whatever you have, but listen, what I just said is the Bible teaches us it's beyond those little images. And here's a list of them right now. And I want to get to this because this is the elephant in the room. When, when we have idols, our heart is associated with pride, self-centeredness, gluttony, greed, Philippians 3.19, and also the God of mammon. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where it's like you can't have money, the love of money and God, this, this thing together. You can't have them. And so here's some things that we worship today that aren't necessarily these little golden objects. Number one is self. Since the iPhone has been created, I'm sick of selfies. I love you guys, but I don't need to see you on my Facebook feed or Instagram all the time. But we are in a culture, especially Southern California, that, you know, look at me. Look, look at what my hairdo looks like today. And we are so focused on self. And I say this because this is who I was. 
20 years ago, God encountered me in a jail cell, and I was full of self, and not selfie way, but in different ways. That's the first one. Number two, this is the reason why there's no revival in Ventura County, in my opinion. This is what God has spoken to me. We are, uh, we are uh, so worried about our security. And when I say that, I've got ring cameras and cameras all over the house, and I'm trying to keep myself, and we've got plenty of weaponry to fend off the boogeyman. So, you know, it's okay, but the truth is, if God is not your security, then you're idolizing something else like that's going to save you. That's just going to protect you for the moment, but it's not going to save you, right? It's a difference. How about approval? Man, I love approval. I'm one of those guys that if you don't like me, it really hurts. And as, as, as I see that, it's something that it really offends me, and I had to walk away from that. I don't want, I don't want to live by approval. I want to only be approved by God. How about relationships? There's some people that feel like if I'm not in a relationship, I'm nothing. The truth is, if you're not in a relationship, maybe there's a reason God is working on you and you're not supposed to be in a relationship. But relationships aren't going to make you uh, 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 who you are. There's some amazing single people in the Bible that did amazing things, Paul and Jesus. They did incredible things. We don't have to be. A relationship doesn't always make me who I am. God makes me who I am. And then maybe once I find that out, maybe he'll put that person back into my life or in my life. Uh, success and wealth, we get it. Ferraris and uh, big 401ks, those don't help anybody. What about health? Health is a big issue today. I'm working on my health. But is it bigger than God? God is my health regardless of what medication or how much kale I eat. It's going to only be God and always God. How about food? Man, I've got this uh, I, on my Instagram. I'm not kidding. This is super embarrassing, but I'm just going to confess my sin in front of everybody. I've got, I'm following this guy. All he does is cut steaks. He just cuts the steak. He throws it down and cuts the steak, and it's in this super slow-mo cam. Sorry, it's a steak. It's okay. You guys will get, forgive me. We're into food. And as we get into food, we're worrying about our health. We spend a lot of time thinking about food and wanting food, and it becomes it. How about intellect? I, I used to work in the Silicon Valley, and I'm not kidding. I'd go to a room with like 50 or 100 people. I'd try and deal, sell stuff to engineers. And there'd be guys that would say, and girls, I'm the smartest person in the room. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm the dumbest person. We're a match, you know, we're the opposites. I'm not saying intellect's bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if it's above God and you think that wisdom's gonna get you closer to God or get you the, you know, the stars and the moons and the, you know, black matter, that's not gonna get you saved. And here's the last type of comfort. We believe that God is not our comfort, that I have to comfort myself. And then finally, we also believe likes and statuses. Likes and statuses. How many likes do you have? How much of your status are you dealing with? Those are the things that we're talking about. This is the elephant in the room. And it's like, is this is stopping your commitment? Then maybe you need to ask God and invite him into that situation. Verse five, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. It's you, God. You alone are my portion, my cup. You're my inheritance. That's what David writes. You guard, you guard me all the time. See, David is like, my security comes from the Lord. My comfort comes from the Lord. My confidence comes from the Lord. That's what he's teaching us here. And he says, the land you have given me is a pleasant land. We live in Pleasant Valley, and it's a wonderful inheritance. David was the youngest of all. He was in a, in a family of seven and as the youngest of, of all the brothers, his inheritance, he's probably not going to get anything. 
Here's a couple reasons why. Everybody, the oldest son, oldest living son, gets it by the time he gets to the end. He's either going to die before his, older, his next other brother or he's going to get nothing. David knew his inheritance from his family was probably going to be minimal at best. But he's saying here that he took the joy and comfort in the fact that God was his portion of his inheritance. His comfort and safety came from Christ alone in the times of peril, this dangerous and risky place. God is his refuge. God is his shelter. God is where he allows himself to, to, to find comfort and peace. And in that, there's confidence in his relationship so what are the benefits there are benefits from being in a relationship and that's what we're trying to get to David wants you to know that when you're committed and you're getting rid of those idols and dealing with the elephants in the room then you have the opportunity to receive the benefits one of the things that I do is I do marriage counseling and premarital counseling that's part of my job I love every part of it I love to do the one-on-ones it's super fun for me I don't know why, but I love to do it. And when I do premarital counseling, one of the first questions I ask is like, what do you want your marriage to look like when you're 85? And they're like, uh, what does that even mean? I'm like, and pardon me for the gross talk, but I'm like, will you wipe their butt when they're too old to wipe their own butt? That's the question. Nobody laughs, but that's the question. Is you're going to do that when you get older? Are you willing to be in a committed relationship to deal with the, the care and the chaos? Because as we get older, there's chaos, and someone needs to care for that person. And if it's not you, then someone else is going to have to do it. And so in a committed relationship, there's benefits. And if you're single, you're, you're going to find people to help you through that. What about family? Everybody's family doesn't necessarily commit it and they've got fractures I get that I'm just telling you my own personal experience my family my parents are here my sister's here I, I've, I've been blessed to have a committed family for the most part and in my struggle I received unconditional love and support and my dad invited me to live with him even though I just served some time and was dealing with drug addiction he invited me in and said as long as you don't use you can stay and you know, that kind of stuff helps. It doesn't always work, but it helps. How about uh, if you don't have family, then what about friendships? I love this. The Bible actually talks about friendships being stronger than blood, right? Stronger than blood. And it says this. I love when you have a good set of friends, maybe you're single and you don't have it, build a good set of friends because they will help you carry the load of life that you have. When you have it, they will help shoulder it. I've, I've been through some tough things and some friends have kind of stood beside me and picked me up and walked me through some horrific things. That's what friendships do. How about a job? A job, if you're committed to it, it provides money. A church can help you during times. You know why people should come to church? You know why these seats should be filled? Because when you go through some sort of chaos in your life, a death, a divorce, a disease, you have a place to minister and feel the glory of God in that, that you can feel God and you come to church. That's the number one reason I believe people should be here, a community to rally around you when you're in trouble. But Jesus is talking about, or David is talking about his benefit with God. He says, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who guides me even at night. My heart instructs me. Verse 8, I know the Lord is always with me. This is where he's showing his commitment. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. David is fully confident because he's fully committed. And now he's saying, here is the benefits. Verse 7, he's starting to tell us in verse 8, here is the benefits. David talks about the guidance and security that comes from God. He is my guiding light. Even at night, I had this pastor in Mexico. He would say, nothing good happens after 8 o'clock. Go to bed then. 
That's what he would say. Go to bed. Think about it. What good happens after 8 o'clock? Nothing good. Go to bed. Get up in the morning early. Pray to God. Invite him in. But the idea here is David's like, they didn't have Netflix and all this extra entertainment at night. He's saying that God even spoke to him in the middle of the darkness of night. David knew that these little gods, these little idols, the things of the world weren't going to provide what the God of the universe would. He knew that the Holy Spirit would guide him whenever he asked. He started trusting God, looking at what God has done in his life. He was fully committed and knew that he was not going to be moved because of, his, because of the things of the world. He was immovable. He was unshakable. He was committed at all costs. Now, there is a cost. There is a cost. There is a little fine print in the relationship with Jesus. And it's not a money cost, so don't worry. We're not taking another offering if you're new. But there is a cost in this life to follow Jesus. It costs certain pleasures. I said this first service, so I better say it second service. My wife does not want me to be in a, a, any kind of relationship with another woman. I can't go to the pleasures of the flesh, an idea. Not that I'm trying to. I'm just saying is there's a cost you can't do whatever you want. You can't flirt and do other things. There's a cost. You can't choose all your pleasures in, in Christ. You have to give some of that up. You, you're not going to be the most popular. You're going to lose friends sometimes when you claim Jesus Christ. You're not going to be, you sometimes have to be uh, that person of anonymity. You know, it takes 70 or 80 people to put on a church service in here. And uh, it's going to take some people to kind of tear this down. So if you can stick around, tear it down, that's great. It, there's some people you just got to be uh, in that place of anonymity sometimes in church. There's a cost. Family relationships, people will not like you, life goals, career choices, financial priorities. Uh, putting your money in, into places that will help ch stop a uh, child sex trafficking like at Love Justice or Forever Found. But listen, the cost, the benefits outweigh the cost. Christ de defeated death and he will defeat your death and you will be alive in Christ and you will be resurrected as Christ was resurrected. You will be in heaven because you have a relationship. So that cost, uh, the benefit outweighs the cost in that situation. No wonder, he says in verse 9, my heart is glad and I will rejoice. My body rests in safety. Is your rest from the word or is it in that 68-degree air-conditioned room like I have? It's got to be in Christ. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow the Holy One to rot in a grave. Here he predicts a Savior, the Son of David, the Son of Man coming into the world and not rotting in the grave, but resurrecting because that is his hope. He predicts Jesus. And then we come to the anthem part, the, the part that our hearts should sing. He says, you show, will show me the way of life, Lord, because I'm committed to you, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The three things that we've talked about today so far are being committed creates confidence. You might have an idol, so idols create issues, and so you need to get rid of those or invite God into those situations. And the last one, that there are benefits to a committed relationship. Friendships, marriage, to a church, and truly to God. 
But as I was sitting there talking to Jeremy and Kim and Michelle about the message on Thursday, Michelle brings up this question. It's like, how do I know if I'm committed? Like, is there a test I can take online? There's all kinds of tests. Can I take an online quiz to see if I'm committed? And I'm like, yeah. I didn't say yeah. But here's the question. Go back to verse 7 through 11, and you'll see some things that show us that you're committed. How do I know if I'm committed? When the Lord, I, I let the Lord guide me. If I'm allowing the Lord to guide me, I know I'm committed. If I'm not shakable, I, I, I've been through some horrific stuff, some death, some loss, some struggle. If I'm not shaken and I'm not immovable in my relationship with God, I know that I'm committed. Uh, verse 9 there's comfort and safety that only comes from the Lord. If there's only, if your comfort and safety only comes, you're living in your car out in the parking lot and that's all you have, but you're finding confidence and comfort and safety in God alone, how much better does it get? And that's how you know that you're committed. And then the last one is my hope is the resurrection. That I die to self and Christ Resurrects me to a better life. We sang that song, Graves into Gardens. He wants to take your abyss and your grave and he wants to make a garden out of it. The problem is, is it takes commitment to do that. It takes, when I say commitment, you know what that really means? It takes action. You, you gotta take action. A commitment is taking action. That's the idea here. And, and that's what God wants. And it brings me to the last part is that my yeses will be yeses and that my noes will be no. That I will say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. And here's what I found out. I hate saying no. That's why my schedule sometimes overbooked. And you know what? Every time I say no, they're like, okay, well, when can you do it? And I'm like, never. That's, what my, that's my head. That didn't really say that. But when I say no, it actually helps because people realize I have other things to do. And when I'm saying yes to someone else, I'm saying no to someone I love. And so I need to learn to say no and, 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 and trust that that commitment that I have with God, he will take over. So here's the elephant in the room as we close today. This is what we're trying to get to. It's time to get rid of that elephant. Are you committed? Or are you letting the guy take over all your space? Are you committed? This is when the Holy Spirit does all of its work right now between th this song and what is said after the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate. It's our birthday today. What better gift to give the church than to make a commitment? To make a commitment and say, man, I'm committed. I'm going to commit to doing stuff. And I'm not talking about serving in ministry or set up and tear down. I'm going to make a commitment to live for God first because we know if you make that commitment that that will solve all the problems that the church has because then people will be invited, then people will be changed, and there will be radical life transformation. What better gift that can you give God today or the church than being fully committed? Timothy Keller says this, if God is not the center of your life, something else is. And I could have just stared at you the whole time, and we'd be all be crying by the end. In the end of this Bible verse, I want you to leave with this one verse, this miktam. I know the Lord is always with me. This is the essence of the text today. He's always with me. David is committed. Are you committed? I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Are you in that relationship with God? Let me finish with the story. My friend, Farmer Richard, challenged me to say, your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. And that moment, that day that he stood up and called me out on the carpet changed my life forever. I'm the person that I am today because he held me accountable to God's word. 
I made a commitment to my life that I was going to be different and better. And I'm the man that I am today because my yeses are yes and my noes are no. As best as I can do as humanly possible. If you're here today and you need to make that commitment, you can do it right where you're at. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to fall on the ground. You can, though. We'll do that. But you can make a commitment right now. So let's pray. Father, I ask that your spirit drive us into a place of commitment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you take that person that's lost and lonely and depressed and, you know, and struggling right now and that you call them into a level of commitment, that they take action by saying yes and amen in a way that they've never said it before. And if you're online or if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, here's the thing. All you have to do is say some words and it gets you into a relationship with God and it goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and resurrecting three days later. I commit my life to you right now. I ask that you take all of me and allow the Holy Spirit to do wonderful work within me. I love you, Lord, and I give myself to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. At this moment, we're going to do some worship. And my question is, if you're fully in, let's sing to the Lord and let's celebrate and let's go out and love the world next week and show them what an awesome church we are. Thanks for joining us today.